at the subject of peace. Now, it was interesting um, what was said this morning about perspective and about looking at your perspective and looking how you look at things. And for, for many of you here this morning, I'm sure that the stuff that I'm going to say, the scriptures that we're going to look at together, which is the most important part, what the scriptures say, what they mean, how that applies to you and I, for many of you here... You will, you will know these things, and I rejoice in that with you, because that means that you, you're established in your most holy faith, that you're going on, and that your foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ, and as you've understood these scriptures and applied them and seek to live them, then that's powerful, and that's life-changing, that's great. So for those of you that know it, you can do, as I often say, just tick the boxes as you go along, say, oh great, I knew that bit, Peter, and I knew that bit. There's nothing really complicated in here, but it's just that it's quite challenging because I want to think about peace, perhaps in a way that you've not thought of before. So we've got an image up there. We'll go on to the first slide. Now, if you look at the de dictionary definition, I can't always read the words up there, so if I turn, I'm not being dis discourteous to you. Just let me turn and read it. It's easier for me. So the dictionary definition, you can see up there, peace in relation to being a noun, two things that... It's seen as, in the dictionary, one, freedom from disturbance or tranquility. So I thought, yeah, let's get a nice, peaceful, calm image up there. I'm going to talk about this a bit more in a minute. I just want to get the dictionary definition sorted out. And then the second part of the dictionary, these are the two main ones. There's lots of little sort of sub-things, but just to keep it simple, two main things. One, tranquility uh, or freedom from disturbance. And secondly, a state or period in which there is no war, or a war has ended. Now, I know that we often, um, when we come to that time when we think about, I put the poppy symbols up there because it reminds us that, be, that those poppies, if you like, are a picture in one sense of, they remind us about war, but they also remind us about peace, and it's a complicated idea. War, in one sense, is a, is a terrible thing. And so all of us would love to, 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 to know that there is peace because there's no war. And I said, we'll talk about that a little bit more. I just wanted to get these two thoughts in your mind. Absence of war or tranquility. That's the simplest way that we could look at a dictionary definition of, those two, of that word peace. With me so far? We're good, yeah? Okay, let's move on. But we need to think very carefully about the words of Jesus. We want to look at what he said. Because you remember, we've, we've just been taking of this loaf of bread and drinking from this cup of wine as the Lord met with his disciples in that upper room as he spoke many things to them about many subjects. Don't forget that the context, uh, uh, at one level, the context was that the disciples were afraid Jesus had started to talk to them about the fact that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be taken and crucified. Now, we know when we read the scriptures, in fact, at this time, that stuff just went straight over their heads. It hadn't gone in, and the import of what he was saying hadn't really sunk in. You know, the disciples primarily were still thought that Jesus, the Messiah, God's son, the promised one, was going to sort out the Roman Empire, was going to bring God's kingdom in, was going to come with power, was going to do all those things. But you and I know, because we have the benefit of the scriptures, that before he could sort out those things and his kingdom could come in, first of all, he had to get his people right with God. And that's going to require what we did this morning, that he's going to offer himself 
as a sacrifice. We'll think more about that later in relation to peace. But the, the, the thing was this. It said this in John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither, neither let them be afraid. And the phrase that we need to think about, we're going to spend some time going through this and understanding about the context of it and, and what it meant and how it was going to be achieved and how it can have an effect upon your life. We're going to look at those things together with some scriptures. It, it, it's, it's just understanding this little part here. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So if you think about that for just one moment, we've looked at a dictionary definition of peace, haven't we? So let's look at what we call the world view of peace. It's the normal sort of view that most people in the world, without, say, taking in, looking at the word of God, maybe not being a Christian, but generally people would have the view that we've talked about already. Just pictured in those two things. The absence of war and the idea of tranquility. Now that is a view that doesn't come specifically from the Bible, it comes from what I call the world, the whole world system that we got, that we want the idea of peace. But think about those two things. If we had to rely on human beings to achieve tranquility and to achieve peace, it's going to be pretty tough. If I said to you, please don't get me wrong, the thought of tranquility and the thought of absence of war is a wonderful thing. I'm not in any way being negative against it, but I'm just trying to think about it a little bit more with you this morning. If you think about those two things and you look into your own lives and look at it in the context of this worldview, this idea that the dictionary has given us that people want peace, they want absence of war, how do you, you think about that for one moment, this idea? How often if you were thinking about it in that context, how often have you achieved peace in the sense of tranquility? You know, some of you, you're probably thinking about, oh, we're going to go on holiday, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And you get there, and you get to a place where there might be a view like that, and you might take it in for a few moments, and then possibly, just a scenario, possibly things start coming into your mind about emails, some work about this, about that, and it doesn't take very long before this idea of tranquility and achieving this idea of tranquility as a world idea, it's actually almost impossible. It's almost impossible. It's an ideal that, in one sense, it's almost impossible for us to achieve. I'm not saying we can't. I'm not saying that you don't have those... I'll use the word moments, because I don't think it's going to be hours and days when you are in a state of tranquility. You know, some people said, oh, a bit of peace and quiet, you know, when the kids have gone off to the playgroup or something's happened where you can actually just sit down for a few minutes. It doesn't mean you're in a state of total peace, but you've just got an absence of, of chaos around you. You know the idea that I'm getting at. So human beings want to strive for something that in one sense is almost impossible to achieve. This idea of getting tranquility, we live in a world that is so chaotic, that is so full of chaos, that it is almost impossible to achieve that worldview. And then we look at the idea of absence of war. It doesn't take you many seconds, all of you, just to go through your mind and see the awfulness of this world at the moment, of war being waged in ways that people of 40 or 50 years ago would never have understood. 
The idea of war being waged, and I use that word war in, in terms of terror, terrorism and the wickedness and the evil that's going on in this world, where governments are struggling to figure out how to deal with things, where you know, countries like America and Britain are, are, can sometimes be at odds and sometimes be in agreement. You look at Afghanistan and all that's going on there and the Taliban, and look, there's all sorts of things that you can look at. You can look in so many places. You know, sometimes I watch the news... And, and, it, and it, 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 at one level, humanly speaking, it depresses me. Because all I see is not absence of war. All I see in this world in one sense is that in various places in the world, at one way or another, there are conflicts going on that, that saddens my heart. And so there's a sense in which... The, the, the point I'm trying to get to is, is that if we have to rely on human beings with a worldview of like that, to achieve peace and to achieve tranquility, I don't think it's achievable. If we have to depend on human beings to do it, I'm not, I haven't got God in the equation at the moment, just human beings and saying, well, yes, we can do that. I think that human beings without God basically will always end up in a state of conflict. It's not difficult. You just go through the Bible... And you look at the fact that if you take God and the relationship with God out of the equation, then human beings end up fighting each other, killing each other, not doing very nice things to each other. And that tranquility and something that this, this view that the world has is not really achievable. Now, I'm not saying that in a negative way. I, I, I totally would love to see absence of war. I totally love to see human beings in a state of peace. But if you take God out of that equation, I think it's very difficult to achieve. So what I really want to focus on you is what the Lord Jesus said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. I want to think about the peace that Jesus was speaking about with his disciples that we're going to see is going to broaden out to those that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ as Christians, that the peace that, if you like, God can give through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to look at the scriptures, we want to look at what the Bible says you and I can have through the Lord Jesus Christ, because it's not going to be achievable without him. Shouldn't surprise us, should it really? But it's nice to just give you some scriptures that will help to confirm that. Those of you that are tick boxing, you're probably thinking, I wonder what verses Pete's going to use about peace. So we're going to go through it. And those of you that aren't sure, well, I hope this will get your perspective going. So we've got one perspective about world peace. I want to look at the Word of God view. I try to sort of copy the text of the world view. This is the Word of God view. You see, the, 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 the primary guidance that I have for, for myself as a Christian, for me, is the Word of God. It's, it's what the scriptures say that I take and I believe and, 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 and I confess I fail so often, but I want to try and live out those scriptures in my life and be in the good and the joy of what the scriptures say, of what Jesus has done, of who he is, of what he's done and how that has affected my life and how that causes and hopefully makes me want to, through the Holy Spirit, want to live a life where I can have peace but not in the world terms. You know, I don't get tranquility very often. Occasionally, I'm very privileged and I'll see a most amazing sunrise or a sunset in a moment there, in a moment here. But, but I'm talking about now what the Word of God says in relation to what peace 
means. Okay. So, the first part is, my peace I give to you. So, the first question is, well, who is the you? Now, this will work at two levels. It starts off immediately with those disciples that were there, but we're going to see it's going to open out in a moment. So, I've given you a couple of descriptions. I I suggest to you that those people who are the you there in that conversation, with one exception, which you will know would have been (coughs) Judas, although we know that at one point Judas leaves to go and do what he has to do. But those disciples, those are disciples. Now, there's two verses there, just to give you an idea. See what the idea of disciples, what, what it meant to them. So we'll talk about a lady called Martha first. You remember Martha and Mary? You remember how we often look at Martha and Mary and Lazarus and how it seems to be that uh, Mary was the one that sat at the feet of the Lord and listened to his teaching? Fantastic, great, that's a good thing to do. Martha seemed to be a bit of a having to get on with stuff, but yet, it, look at it, it's Martha that's mentioned it. It says, she, Martha, said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So it was about her faith, it was about her belief, it was about the fact that she accepted that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, was the Son of God. She acknowledged those things in the word that she spake. Not only were they acknowledged by coming out of her mouth, but it was something that she believed in her heart. And then you look at Simon Peter, he said, um, you are the Christ, the Son of God. So there's some key things there that we, we need to understand. You know, we live in a, a world where many people take the view of Jesus as a great humanitarian, a prophet, this, that, lots of things that they will acknowledge him and pay lip service to him. But when you look carefully at the scriptures, the Bible clearly says to us that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is not only a human being, but he is divine. He is the eternal Son, the eternal Word, the Father's constant joy. So he is divine, he is eternal, he is the Son of God, and he is the one that the Old Testament scriptures promised one day was going to come. And, the, and, and, and as I said earlier, that the disciples wanted, to, wanted him to come as the Messiah, the one that was going to bring in God's kingdom, the one that was going to establish again God's, temp, God, God's reign upon the earth uh, as supreme. But as I said to you earlier, and we're going to see in the scriptures, he had to do a greater work before that could occur. But those people there are spoken of. The you there are his disciples, his followers. So, just going on a little bit further, we've got the disciples, and then we've got a verse that says in John chapter 10 and verse 31, it's almost towards the end of the, the Gospel of John. If you, were to, if you were to look at John, there's basically seven key amazing miracles or things that are evidences. It's just those that were selected by John as moved by the Holy Spirit, that there were certain key things. You start off with the water turned into wine and you go through the Gospel of John and you see each time these evidences or miracles, if you want, that showed that the person that they called Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. And so you come to this, you come to this, not almost a conclusion verse, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's pretty clear, it's pretty straightforward. It's a personal, it's you, each one of you this morning as individuals. 
You know, there was a time when I was a, 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 a little fella. I know it's hard to believe, but I, I was young once. And, and, and I knew that my mum and dad were Christians. I knew that they believed in the Lord Jesus. I knew that they were going to heaven. But at that point, I wasn't a Christian. My parents went to church. I went to church. I, could, I was reading the Bible. I could quote the Bible to you. I could sort of go through, you know, even as I was only a youngster, I was starting to understand the, the arguments and the thinking. But while my mum and dad were Christians, I wasn't. And you know, I used to, I, I thank God now as I look back, I used to sometimes come home, and when I thought my parents should be there they, and they weren't, I thought that God had taken them to be with him. That the Lord Jesus had come and that they were going to go and be with him, and, and that I was left behind because I wasn't a Christian, because I wasn't saved, because I didn't know the Lord Jesus as my saviour. And you know what? That used to terrify me. Now, I thank God as I look back that he that that was part of the mechanism that he used because I used to go along and hear people from a pulpit talk about the Lord Jesus, talk about the Bible, talk about what he did on the cross, talk about the fact that those people that love the Lord Jesus, that believing him are going to go to heaven and those people that don't believe in the Lord Jesus, if they get to the point when they come to die and they haven't believed in the Lord Jesus, they're going to go to hell. And that used to scare the life out of me. I'm glad that God did that because God was working in my heart, that God was touching my heart to make me realise that it wasn't because I went to church, it wasn't because my mum and dad were Christians, it wasn't because I sometimes prayed, sort of a lip prayer, it wasn't because I read the Bible that I was a Christian. I became a Christian when I realised that I, I, I asked the Lord Jesus personally to be my saviour, that I believed that he was the Son of God, that I believed that he died for me. So these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And all those things that were spoken about over that period of time when, when God was putting his thumb upon me, upon my heart and upon my life, came to fruition when I became a Christian. Because God worked in my heart and in my life and saved my soul. And I am so grateful for what he did for me, that he saved me. And so I say to you this morning, is that you? Do you think you're a Christian just because you come along to church? Do you think you're a Christian just because your mum and dad may have been Christians or not? Do you think that, you know, the point I'm trying to make, and I just want you to understand, please, and, and I don't mean to be rude to you or anything like that, but I just want you to be clear that it's a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that each of you in this room need to know him as your saviour personally. And if you don't, and you've got to look and say, do I believe these things? Is this lip service or is this something that is real that has happened in my heart that I believe that the Lord Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for me and that I belong to him because of what he has done, that he died for me on the cross. So I challenge you and encourage you. If that's you and you can tick the box, amen, that's great, isn't it? Isn't that wonderful that you're saved, that you're going to heaven, that the Lord Jesus is your saviour? But be very honest with your own hearts. It's not about talking to me or anybody else. It's in your own hearts. Do you believe this in your own heart? Does this apply to you? Is it you that you believe those things, that he is the Son of God and that he's your saviour? Do think about these things, won't you? Because this is the work. So how did he make it possible that he could give this peace to those that belong to him? 
Okay? Well, this great verse here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 22, the chapter's been talking about the deity of the Lord Jesus. You know, I said earlier that it's important that we acknowledge in a world that pays lip service to him and denies his deity that he is divine, that he is God the Son. It says, for in him, this is the Lord Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And this is the part we want you to look at. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The reason I'm going to heaven isn't because of me, of my works, of my life. It's not that at all. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. Those of you that came up this morning and took communion, the blood of Jesus shed for you. It's coming back to this you. It's very personal, it's you. That it cost God everything to make it possible for you to have peace by the blood of his cross. It cost the Lord Jesus Christ everything when he came into this world Remember the scripture in, in the epistle of John, it says the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. So the Father in his great love, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes, that's the you bit if you like, the whoever, I don't know who that is, but the you, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal everlasting life. But there was a cost. There was a cost for your salvation and for my salvation. It cost God everything. When God the Son came into this world, you will call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And by that great work, you think about before he went to uh, before he went to the cross, after he'd been with his disciples in that upper room, after he'd taken that bread and that cup, it says that they sang a psalm and they went out over the book Kedron and he went into a garden. And do you know the story? In that garden, what does it say? He took three of his disciples. Um, he asked his disciples to watch him pray. He took three others and went a little way with them. And it said this. He said, now is my soul exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And then he left those disciples and he went a little bit further and in agony of spirit and of soul, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The awfulness of what he was going to do upon that cross, the awfulness of one that was sinless, one that was pure, one that delighted the Father who could say, this is my son who I love. He had to go to the cross. And upon that cross, he offered himself in sacrifice to a holy God that dealt with the question of sin once and for all by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus that was sealed 
by the shedding of his blood, that new covenant, that new relationship that is made possible for you and I, for those that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, through his work, he has made peace for you by the blood of his cross. That's the cost. That's what it cost him to make it possible for you and I to have peace with God. So let's go on just a little bit further. So here's what, having looked at who it's to when it said, not as the world gives, give you I my peace, and to how he achieved it, let's look at what it actually means. So we've looked at the worldview, the idea of tranquility and absence and view. Let's look at what the Bible actually says. It says this, you being in a right relationship with God through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. If you were to read Romans chapter 4, just to put it in context, you would see that it's talking about Abraham and it's talking about the fact that Abraham, as Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, is writing these verses to say that Abraham wasn't justified by his works but by the fact that he believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. It wasn't of Abraham, it was the fact that he believed God and he had faith in God. And so he goes through this and it comes to chapter 5 and it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not of works, not of works, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He needed to go to the cross. He has made peace by the blood of his cross. But it now means, so it says actually there, justified by faith. Now justified is, it can be a technical legal court term. It's this idea as, I mean, some people very simply put it as just as if I'd never sinned. But if you were in a court, you've heard this before, I'm sure, so tick boxes some of you. If you were in a court and you heard the judge, um, there was a charge against you, um, you've been accused of this and the, and the lawyers are going to, to, to show all this. But imagine if there was a penalty for that, and somebody else was willing to take that penalty so that there was no charge against you. Do you know, there's a great verse in the book of Romans. It says, he has taken the charges against me and nailed them to the cross because those things, those sins, those things that I have done wrong against God that would condemn me in God's holy court, if you like, were dealt with by the Lord Jesus on the cross for me. So he's taken those charge sheets Pete, guilty of this, guilty of that, guilty of the other. You've sinned, 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 but I've taken them, I've nailed them to my cross. And by what I have done, God is then has a basis upon which he can say, Pete, and each one of you, put your own name in there, because of what Jesus has done and because you have accepted his work and his person, then there's no charge against you anymore because Jesus paid the price for my sins. So before a holy God, in that legal sense, I'm justified. And so it means that I can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the idea of peace here is that we have a right relationship with God. I think we've got the idea that, you know, our, 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 let me just, just check the next slide, yeah. Our, our, our sins, our sins would condemn us. Those things that you say and do that we have to battle through sometimes or before you were a Christian, that those things would condemn you before a holy God. That if you ever went to a court of law, you'd be found guilty. And there is nothing that I can do 
to, of myself to sort that out. It says this, it says in another place, I think, I think it's Ephesians, it says, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, what people want to do is they want to, maybe this is what, how you think, I don't know, they want to think, well, it, it's, yeah, it's the work of the Lord Jesus, but I've got to do some other stuff as well. I've got to do works, I've got to do this and that. If you think that being a good person will take you to heaven, well, I commend you for being a good person. I don't fault you for that. But if you think that it's that that is going to take you to heaven, then that's wrong. Because the only way that you can go to heaven, as we've already been looking, is through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's by him and him alone. And that means that the only way that we can be in a right relationship with God, that we can have peace with God, is through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. With me so far? Okay? So that ought to then, so if we've looked at the wonder of what the Lord Jesus has done, as, we've, as you, each of you that came out this morning has looked at these things, and taken of that bread and drunk of that cup and remembered what the Lord Jesus did for you, then we need to say, well, does that affect the way I live my life? Has that an effect, this peace of God, this peace that the Lord Jesus gives, not as the world gives, has that an effect upon your life? Let's look at some, just one other little verse then before we come to the last verse. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this then goes on in Romans. So, so Paul's been writing about these things. Well, what does that mean? Is that going to have an effect upon your life? Is it going to mean that the way that you live your life and the things that you do are going to be based on the fact that you have a right relationship with God. What's that going to do? Well, the verses there, I'll just quickly read them and then we're going to just look at a couple of them. Through him, the Lord Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's all of God. It's God's work. It's God's Holy Spirit that would touch you and convict you and challenge you and into a recognition that it's the Lord Jesus Christ that is the one that needs to be your saviour. But if you're in the good of all this, what a joy. If you're in the good of these things, what does it mean? Well, hopefully, it means that we stand. You know, the devil and all that the world represents want us to sit down. They want us to be ineffective as Christians. They want us to not have a testimony and a witness and to give an answer for the hope that is within us. The right relationship, the peace that we now have through what God has done. That you're in a right relationship with God, that you have peace with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through what he has done, that you're in the good of these things. And what does he want you to do in the knowledge of this, that I'm right with God, that the problems have been sorted out, I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus has done, I'm right with God. He wants us to stand. There's some great verses, that, again, in the book of Ephesians, it says, it, it, it talks about um, all the wickedness and the evilness is there. And it, they, it says this, it says to those that are Christians to take on the armour of God and it says, 
Not to go out and look for trouble. It says to stand. To stand. What God wants you to do as Christians in the knowledge that you have peace with God is to stand for him. Is to go on for him. Is to live for him. It's to stand. And also more than that, you know, you read some of the letters of Paul, the circumstances that Paul went through. And yet in all of those things, he could say, we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, you know, I know it's not nice having sufferings, and I know that we don't want it, and some of us might not have too much. But what I'm saying is, is that in our life, with all the things that are around this world, the things I was speaking about earlier, the things that sadden my heart sometimes when I see what the world's like, that I can still rejoice in my Saviour, that I can stand and rejoice so that when those things, those difficult times come against us, those things that challenge us, those times when sometimes God has to, 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 to work in our lives in a way that we don't always find comfortable, that as God works out his purposes for you and I, and your path and my path are all different, that in that we can still rejoice. I know that's not easy. You might be ill, or you might be suffering, or you might have family difficulties or work difficulties, and yet God's, I'm standing here, and I don't say it glibly, I'm saying, just rejoice that when you think of all that's going on in this world, that God has brought you into a right relationship with him through Jesus. When you think about what it costs God, sometimes I need to have that perspective to remind me that the things that sometimes happen in my life, they're big to me, but they're pretty small when I look about what God's done for me. When I see what God's done for me, then I need to stand and I need to rejoice. And it's a challenge that the effect of knowing that we have peace with God should affect the way that we live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring glory and honour to him. And we're finally going to come. So we've looked at the worldview of peace, this idea of something that's almost not achievable in one sense. We've looked at God's view of it. We've looked at the, how he's been able to do it. We've looked at the meaning of it. We've looked at the effect of it. I just want to finish as we come to the end of our time now. Uh, just this last great verse. If you were to look at the earlier part of Numbers chapter 6, it's actually about, it's talking about the Nazarite. Not Nazarene, somebody that comes from Nazareth, a Nazarite. And it's one that took a vow to God to be separated to God. Okay, and you know, it was Old Testament, so there were all sorts of rules and regulation. Couldn't do this, couldn't do that, couldn't touch this, couldn't, you know. It, but it, but the, th the simple thought is this it was the idea that that person had a desire to be separated, to be dedicated, to want to be identified with God. And then all of a sudden, after that little section there about the fact that he was somebody that. It was going to be through what, yeah, it's through the law set of regulations, but the fact that they, they had a desire to be separated to God. So think of that as a wonderful ideal, because then you come into these verses here, where the priests were to give these, uh, the, the, this blessing. And I remember when Derek Tidbolt came here and he spoke about this and unpacked it for us, and it was absolutely lovely. But it's this, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now you can have peace or you have peace.
because the Lord Jesus Christ is your saviour. God has given everything for you so that you can be in a right relationship with him. And because you're in a right relationship with him, you have peace with God. Yes, I want the other things for you. I want tranquility. I want absence of war. I want all those other meanings of peace. But most of all, that all of you are in the good of the fact that you are in a right relationship with God and that this God that loves us and has given everything when he gave his son wants for you peace wants to shine upon you, wants to love you, wants you to live for him. What a, what a glorious thing. So hopefully that will just get your, you thinking about peace, perhaps in a slightly different way, about the way the scriptures say about what we're in the good of because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of our Saviour, because of what he's done. I know in a minute um, Becca's going to come up now and we're going to finish as we just stand and sing and worship and from our hearts just say thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have done. Thank you. <laughs>